Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. I recently attended a conference and uh, conferences are kind of exciting because you hear new ideas and you talk to people in the hallway and hear how they're doing things on their projects and in their company. And uh, a lot of times the speakers are sort of authoritative on a subject and you're listening to them. And uh, I just had this thought personally as somebody who uh, gets excited about technology that there's probably some benefit to not just diving in. Like if you attend a talk <laughs> on some new way of testing that you don't get back to work on Monday and just dive right in, you know what, we're changing our test suite over, we're doing this, that's a new thing. And so I thought, you know, I'm probably not the only one that has that tendency or that, that itch to do something like that. And maybe we could talk through kind of how we actually try to approach these things in the real world and, and strike a balance between like excitement about new things, best practices, new techniques, but like the realities of like a real production project and work for a company. Yeah. So I thought I'd give a couple thoughts first from my experience, a lot of times being managers of, mm -hmm. of developers who I send off to a conference okay. and then they come back and they tell us we're doing everything wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, when you are in a project for a long enough time, the first thing you start to kind of develop is like, I know where we're doing the things wrong. Um, and so like when someone finds out how to do something a better and different way, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit here. Um, the first thing when you come back, try not to just say we're doing that wrong. Cause okay. it's like, yeah, we probably know that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I also say from a, from a manager point of view, I send developers off to learn new things so that they can put together a better case to do that new thing, not just immediately do that new thing. Sure. Yeah. And then I have to work that in with all the other business needs that we want because that what they learned can save the company money but it can save the company money down the road. Whereas you want your paycheck next week. Uh, we have to be do, nice. we have to keep, we have to keep doing the things that we're doing right now in order to yeah. get that to keep working. Yeah. So um, right away, when you say that I, I get, the, I get this flashbacks to being the boss, sending some devs out and them coming back and be like, we're doing everything wrong. We have to change. And I, and I have to be that bad guy and say, yeah, I know that. And also we're not, And right. then, you know, they look at you and be like, what's wrong with you? So yeah. I know there's a lot of things you have to balance in with that. But I think one of the things you're kind of going, uh, getting at was more so like maybe it's, I think they kind of overlap is maybe it's time to evaluate what this next best practice thing that I learned mm -hmm. means in the context of our application and our skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. And because well, let's just, the, let's just start with the assumption that the best practice being preached actually is something beneficial for our project there's probably like 10 new beneficial things you could do. So you also have to weigh like which one will have the most impact, mm -hmm. which one will actually address the problems that hurt us the most right now. And so that that's a factor uh, to consider as well. But um, I also think that not everything labeled as a best practice or to even extend it, not everything that big company X does <laughs> is really a good thing for your three-person team, you know, that has an app that a thousand people use versus big company X, which has millions of users, right? So 
That, that's the other thing to try to figure out as a developer too, is like, does this really apply in our situation? Even if it is a good thing, maybe it's not objectively good across all times and places. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a good point of view too. When you think about like, what is the size of my team and what's the output that we need? So I work, I've worked with uh, teams and help development teams grow from two to three people. And you might think like, that's just another person. Like what's mm-hmm. the big difference? Well, there's a huge amount of difference between two and three people on a team. And then there's a, there's a much larger difference between 10 and a hundred people on a team. Okay. Yeah. And, and so when you start looking at, it's not just the amount of people, it's all the different processes. And so you start to see these processes that maybe make uh, this app, you know, faster by 20%. If you have this microservice and that or whatever, <laughs> what you fail to see is that um, they had a hundred people on that team and six of their jobs full-time was to manage those microservices. And they can do that because adding developers two, three, five, seven, you know, you don't get seven times as much then you, you, mm-hmm. you start to lose some of that. So even if you had a hundred developers, you don't have as hundred, you don't have 100 times as many things being done. Mm-hmm. And so you actually have wasted work. And so instead of wasting that work, we can put some of those people on different types of tasks and those different types of tasks help manage those larger systems. And so the size of your team really does matter on the type of technology you pick as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, more on like the idea of, is this good for us? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that is very easy to lose sight of when you're in that post-conference glow of information is that any new practice or best practice, there are some trade-offs. Right. So if, if you're going to adopt this new thing or you want to use this new package or this new way of deploying your app, it may solve 10 problems, but it may also introduce like two different problems than what you currently yeah. have. And it's yeah. so easy in the excitement to like not even consider, well, what, what's the downside of doing this? And um, I've personally bumped into that and I've kind of come to the conclusion that with some of these things, it really is good. To, to approach them as a trial. Like, hey, look, instead of taking our main customer-facing revenue-generating app and using that as an experiment for this idea, what about this like little back office system that like three people use once a month? Like, could that be a good test case to see, does this make sense or not? And, and maybe you'll evaluate and be like, whoa, I'm really glad we didn't just roll that out into a much mm-hmm. larger project. It's like a, a safer bet when trying something new out. You brought up tests too, and I, I can use another concrete example. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that you have a decently large application and you have a lot of work and you don't have any tests whatsoever. Okay. And you really don't, you really don't know that that's the thing. Like, it, it, so you've learned this at a conference that I should start testing. Okay. Some of the challenge there is then when you come back and start looking at implementing testing, one of the trade-offs is it's going to take longer to write your code, but only in the beginning. So that's mm-hmm. the other thing that we need to keep in mind too, is some of these sure. things are going to be more painful and have more expense in the beginning. And then they'll slowly start to taper and you, you know, you might yep. get more benefit or you might change. So when I think about when I first started writing testing, I just saw all my applications start taking twice as long to, to write. And I said, well, I get it. It's going to stop bugs, but I'm so good. I don't need tests. I don't write buggy code, which of course is silly. But I also noticed that the longer I practice that discipline, the faster I got, just like typing and things like that. But it also changed the way I started writing code so that my whole process was much better and faster too. Mm -hmm. So I think when you talk about some of these things and you talk about the cost of them, 
it's it's important to understand even further beyond the first test or trial it's like what are what's the ongoing cost and will this uh, affect change in our organization and stuff like that yeah yeah that's that there's a lot of things to calculate and weigh but uh that's another good one good example another another one that uh i ran into was integrating some sort of um, continuous um, integration platform to check for errors and stop the um, the the release if there was errors in, in mm-hmm. there. Um, and we had to keep in mind that for a trial when we ran it, it was great. We ran it on some of our dev branches, but um, we had a QA team and they didn't necessarily know what would ha- what that meant when a branch stopped when it went to QA because one of these automated things failed. So it wasn't even just trying it out and seeing if it worked for us. We had to now alter another department's workflow uh, no. based off something that we wanted to use. Yeah, no, there's the bigger the team, the more sorts of those interdependencies you're going to have. Yeah, I, I mean that, that's you're you're that that Robin Hood programmer, and I'm I got that background with hundreds of programmers. So uh, <laughs> like I'll just do whatever I want. I'm like, no, 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 uh, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> so I I like this topic mainly because I'm battling this exact thing right now. <laughs> so <laughs> in my case, uh, some of it was stuff I was talking about. And uh, it's like, oh, we could use this in this project and that project and this other project. But uh, the reality is, you know, you, you have to approach it in a balanced perspective. And you really, especially if you're not a lone dev, you have to get buy-in from the rest of your team. Otherwise, you're just going to mm-hmm. irritate people. Uh, and maybe it is a good idea and you'll just turn them off to it because of the way you introduced it too. was going through a fast food drive through the other day. We were getting some McDonald's for the kids. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my for wife- For the kids was re- or, f- or for uh, everyone? Just for the kids. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. eating anything. Um, mm-hmm. So she was relaying to me the order. So I, I'm placing the order and she's like whispering it to me. So she's like, get a get four piece nugget meal or something like that. But I said, I will have the four piece chicken McNugget meal. And just the fact that I said like the whole phrase, like trademark, she freaked out. She's like, why do you have to say McNugget? I said, no, I said chicken <laughs> McNugget. But it was like, sometimes I'll do things to be annoying or to try to be funny. In this case, like legitimately, it's just the way my brain processes it. I'm looking at the menu. It says, that's what it says, chicken McNugget mm-hmm. meal. And so that's what I said. And I was like some sort of monster for actually saying the product the way it was supposed to be ordered. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know about you. Like when I go into the drive-thru too, um, I get I guess I get the same thing. We've talked about this as you get when you menu too. You go through a drive-thru, you're like, I know what I want. You look at the drive-thru sign, you suddenly go, What? What are all these <laughs> things? Yeah. Yeah. And and then and then um like I, I saw a new McDonald's has like um the like the big displays. So mm-hmm. technically they change them. And so okay. I'm a creature of habit. I'd be like, oh, I I, I know I want a you know a whopper, which is not the same place no um, <laughs> but the, i don't know big mac i don't really eat, eat there anymore I, I want a big mac and like but i know that i can't order it without staring at it i don't know why mm-hmm. and so i look and then suddenly it's like do you it's a chicken mcrib or whatever i don't know um it's definitely <laughs> like, not where, a thing either <laughs> where is the thing but uh you know i don't know if you remember there used to be a place called hot now Mm-mm. um and it was uh, basically it was just the cheapest hamburgers possible. Okay. This is probably this is probably back in the nineties, um, and it was like you get a hamburger um, with nothing on it, like some pickles and 
ketchup mustard for the 39 cents. That was a good deal. And so we'd go through after, um, you know, going shopping for a long, you know, trip or something and went with my grandma one time and I did not realize that she can't yell, but she (laughs) also thinks she has to yell. Okay. Um, And so um, she was like always losing her voice already for some reason. Um, And then, so we went there and she pulls up and she rolls on the window and she goes, I'll take seven hamburgers. And I'm just sitting there going like, what is happening? And they're like, excuse me, man. Seven. And like, that was the first time, like as a young person and the other time, I just yell, I'll take seven hamburgers. (laughs) Yeah. Like a whisper yell. Yeah, like just she could talk and like she could yell at me perfectly fine. Okay, you know, but when nope. it comes to like like yelling for something else, it was like ha ah, ah. too much pressure. Yeah. Do you feel like maybe you just know Laravel and haven't mastered it yet? You're not alone, and that's why we made masteringlaravel.io. Check out the site to learn more. 